listening to Love the Links Golf Radio with your hosts, Brendan Elliott and Bob Baldessari. All right, Love of the Links, we are back after a holiday hiatus. Oh, that's a cool combination of words, holiday hiatus. How are you, Bob? Holiday hiatus. I'm, I'm well. Happy New Year. Off to the wish we get started in 2020. Yeah, yeah, and I won't bring up what you didn't want me to bring up, so we'll just move on from there. Sorry about that. <laughs> resides up in the Northeast. Yep, still chilly down here in Florida. I think the last time that you and I chatted, uh, the last podcast, it was a little chill in the air too, but we've had some weird weather in Florida. It was, what, 85 a couple days ago, and then bottom dropped out the next day, so that's what we have to endure here in Florida. I guess indoor is not a good word if you're from the Northeast, right? Just be careful how you word that. <laughs> when I talk to people back home, it's it's always cloudy here. It, well, oh, it's probably 80 degrees. And I go, yeah, but it's cloudy. So yeah, yeah. You can feel a little better. So 2020, how was your holidays? Good? Uh, good holidays. Uh, good time to rest, relax. And um, like a lot of people, you think about your goals for the next year or so. Yep. With my new company, Reimagine Golf, we're off and running and we've got some big, exciting, can't, can't announce them just yet, but we've got some big things happening. And uh, for me personally, for 2020, like a lot of PGA pros want to play more golf. Uh, always you and I getting people into the game and making them have fun in the game and inspiring them in the game, but then we don't play as much as we would like to. And for me, I miss playing tournament golf. Uh, so yeah. I'm going to try to get back uh, to play a few more tournaments. Yeah, and you know, it's funny you brought that up because that was something within this first few minutes that we chatted before our guest comes on. That was something I was going to bring up is we always talk about resolutions as we roll into a new year. Uh, and surprisingly for a lot of golf pros, exactly what you just said is is the case. I've actually already played two rounds of golf this year, which may have surpassed all of my fourth quarter of 2019. Um, but it, it, you know, it's it's like everything I kind of joke around with uh, some of the parents of the kids I teach when I say it's, it's like uh, somebody that owns a lawn business and their lawn is atrocious at their house or a handyman who's uh, has so much stuff to repair at their, at their house. So that's kind of how I equate it. Yeah, it definitely um, makes it makes a difference when you can get out there and play more golf. I mean, I think get a lot of PGA pros or, humble they're selfless and you're always trying to make the game fun for others and it's sometimes you have to be a little selfish just a little especially if you're thinking tournament golf and you want to get out there and teed up but the other thing i tell people is it's uh, i love your analogy there with the, the lawn surface yeah uh, but i go well it's sort of like me taking you up in a plane and kicking you out parachuting and going oh it's great it's great you'll love it you'll love it just jump out of the plane yet i never get out of the plane so, right. so i think the more you play, the better it is for the game of golf. If uh, more PGA members played, LPGA members, uh, people love to play golf. So, yeah, I think uh, all of us should take a look at that seriously for 2020 and, and just play, simply play more. It could be nine holes. Then yeah. Be- yeah, and, it, you know, I, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking back to an article uh, Brandel Chambly did a couple years back. Yeah. I'm sure you can remember that article that I'm going to reference. And, it's talking about how golf professionals, it's just not the same. And I, I think back to when I was in high school, back in the uh, 
you know, early nineties, late eighties, and the golf pro was the rock star. And he was not only running his own business out of the pro shop, managing the tournaments, but he was out there playing. And, and it's just, it's just a whole different thing now, good, bad, or indifferent. I see Rex is logging on. Uh, but that's just the evolution of, of what's happened uh, to our industry. And, you know, I'm sure you miss those days, Bob. Well, I had the lecturer growing up with a dad that was a PGA pro, 53-year member of the PGA. And, you know, I, I've said this in PGA section meetings and things I went to, that the, the, the members at his club and other people up in the Boston area, they get excited to play golf with my dad. And they were, you know, any PGA member that you forget how exciting it is to play with a PGA member. If you're an amateur golfer and you just want to go and have fun, and I'd see these members get so excited to play golf with my dad. And I'd be like, you know, I see him in his underwear. What's the big deal? <laughs> it, um, but it was, it is a big deal. So hopefully, like I said, more PGA pros can get out there and play with their members this year. Yeah. Rex, welcome. Good to see you, man. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. We're, we're just chatting about, uh, as we roll into a new year, a new decade, about resolutions. And uh, a lot of golfers talk about playing more golf or getting their game in shape. And Bob and I were just discussing how we as golf professionals, I'm going to throw this question to you too, being in the industry from a different standpoint, of course, but playing is just not something a lot of PGA professionals do. So someone like you in the media, and you and I have known each other for a while, I know how much you love this game, but how often do you get out and how often, how more often would you like to get out? Uh, that would probably be a good resolution for me. I mean, to yeah. play more. Um, I, you know, when I started practicing more last year, I, I don't know why. It just I, it has something to do with I've, I've got a teenage son. He's a freshman in high school, and he wanted yep. to start playing more. And I, I think that drove me to the range more. But I think now we need to transition more to the golf course simply because it, you're right. I mean, the love of the game transcend, transcends a, a lot of different things. And in this particular case, it's great to go out on the range with him. We've had, I had a wonderful year with him. I think now's the time he and I need to get out and start playing more. And really that's just, it's a decision I have to make and be just be more conscious about it. Yeah. And, and how about what you think is the perception that the average golfer may have when, when they start to find out, Hey, this guy that's teaching me doesn't get out there very often. Mm -hmm. I mean, is, is it something that golf pros should really take seriously is getting out there and, and playing some golf? I would think so. I mean, I would never want to tell a pro how to do his job because I have nothing but huge respect. And I have so many friends that are in your business and they, they're the front lines. They're the, you guys are the pointy end of the spear, right? You're the ones that are going to grow the game. We talk about it on the PGA tour level and at golf channel all the time, but it really comes down to you and all the other 28,000 PGA yeah. American yeah. pros. I normally mess that number up, but it's quite a few. Um, and it's funny because some of the club pros that I'm closest to, they seem to not necessarily play a lot, but they seem to engage more with membership and other players, either it's on the range or if it's on the golf course. And it seems to me that the ones that I love in that context, the ones that I really like to be around are the ones that are on the golf course more. So I think you're right. Just get out and play more golf. Yeah. I mean, Bob, I'm sure you can agree with me that if, if we're out there preaching to get out there and enjoy the game and play and try to find time for it, yet we're not out there. We're, we're kind of being hypocritical with, uh, with that message, right? Yeah, there's a disconnection that happens. Uh, too many PGA members are, you know, LPGA, there's a lot that plays good. 
uh, but the more we can get out there and play golf, because I saw my dad do it, I saw his generation do it. You taught, you played. And actually, if you want to grow your business, go ahead and teach and play more. And yeah. I always said that I never grew my business sitting behind my behind my computer. I mean, you manage the business there and you keep keep a keep an eye on your business there. But if you want to grow your business, get out and teach and play. Certainly get into the community. Yeah, and uh, so that's just kind of where we're starting out, uh, Rex. And again, welcome. We we really appreciate having you. For those watching, uh, when we uh, re-air this, Rex Hoggard, senior writer at Golf Channel. Uh, Rex, I wanted to get your take because the, the topic of today's podcast in general is looking forward to 2020, but we really can't look forward without looking back at uh, the tail end of the year. You were down in Australia, correct? I was, yeah. So what was your takeaways from from the whole week, from the President's Cup week? Not not just the outcome, but uh, what you saw from Ernie and in the year or in the uh, international squad and and what they what they did what they accomplished despite the defeat um and then the ultimately the u.s taking it well i think the optimism going into it having covered enough of these i don't feel like i'm not under the mindset that the international team has to win one for this to be a compelling competition because we went through a, a run in the Ryder cup where the united states didn't seem to be able to win one but it was always close it was always compelling. we always see now my dogs are angry about that <laughs> They must be international dogs. <laughs> yeah, they're international players. Um, but I, didn't, I don't think that you necessarily have to have an international win, which is what Ernie was really pushing for, and I understand that. It needed to be close, and we, got, it, we had a little bit of that in South Korea a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But going into it, I probably had more optimism than I think I've ever had in one of these events, simply because the optimism that Ernie put out. And I don't think when it's all said and done, Ernie will go down as one of the best captains on the Ryder Cup or President's Cup I've ever seen because he had to be so engaged and because he had to do things so much differently than they've been done in the past. And it, it, it didn't work. He came up short. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it's just a stacked American team right now. And whether it doesn't matter what competition we're talking about. But I think when, when they look back at this President's Cup, I think the international team can use what happened in Australia going forward as maybe not a, a jumping off point to, to finally getting – you know, that victory that they've been waiting for for so long, but getting at least closer, and that makes a compelling competition. Yeah, and Bob and I, in the first uh, two episodes of this season's podcast, we talk a lot about the the team game and whether it be Ryder Cup or President's Cup and, and the dynamics that, you know, make up whether it's a European squad in a Ryder Cup or a U.S. squad playing in either of the two competitions. And, you know, it, it seems like the U.S. is getting closer uh, to really having what the other, their opponents seem to have year in and or competition after competition, which is that camaraderie. Um, Bob, we, we chatted about that with maybe some of these younger guys, your, your Ricky Fowlers and Justin Thomases, and those guys hanging out and just being so close. Do you think that's a, a factor there, Bob? Yeah, it definitely seems to be a factor. And even it relates to other sports. I mean, you look at NBA, you look at other other sports leagues and there's more camaraderie with the opponents and with competitive opponents and it should be arch rivals but yet it's sort of transcending that now with these super teams in the NBA or uh, hey I grew up in Boston and you know we're going to hate the Canadians and we're going to you know NHL is going to be what it is and you want to fight but uh, there is you know this free agency there's it's just a different time and place in sports so 
what I what I see, and, and I feel, always felt like I have a foot in the old school and a foot in the new school, and I see this generation changing, and, and you see it on the tour, and there's more camaraderie, and it's just, it is a different time and place. Maybe it'll translate into that team sport a little better. Um, I was going to ask Rex, I mean, the the Asian players, I mean, there's there's now, there's so many good players out there. Um, I, I think it'll help the President's Cup in, in this event. It, it was so competitive, but going forward, I mean, um, and I'm going to blank on the gentleman's name, but uh, a couple of the players from Asia and I think the gentleman from Japan, I mean, he was lights out. He was an incredible player. Uh, well, Hideki Matsuyama did, did have a good one. And he hadn't been, he hadn't played well in this event. Now I will say that I think Ernie Els and a lot of people had very high hopes for Hao Tung Lee, who is from China and the way he's been playing, he didn't come in, uh, he wasn't playing his best. Now, for whatever reason that was, whether that was some sort of injury or maybe a little overwhelmed by the moment, certainly that's happened to other players before. So you were a little surprised, but then you kind of go down the list. I mean, I don't think anybody expected much from Abraham answer. I mean, not that Abraham's not a very good player and didn't deserve to be on that team. But when you start stacking him up against the Dustin Johnson's and the Justin Thomas's and the Tiger Woods, it's hard to imagine how he can be competitive. So L's got some very, very, productive play out of some unlikely places. And you're right. I think the Asian players are probably where he needs to focus on going forward. And it'll be interesting. I don't think we've seen the full outcome from the Olympics simply because 2016 was in Brazil and Rio, and we probably didn't get the push that we would have hoped for. Uh, I, my guess is in Japan, the, the Olympics being there, being part of the huge Asian community, it's going to be a huge impact to golf there. That's a good segue into what, what I was going to ask you about is your feelings with this being an Olympic year, uh, who, who do you think the bright spots are for the Americans? Uh, um, there's a lot of talk about that's one of the things Tiger's really focusing on on this year. Um, and what do you think the chances are for the U.S.? I, they're very good because the U.S. is going to have four players as opposed to most countries. I, I think the U.K. might end up with three, maybe four as well. But, you know, just by sheer numbers, I think the United States, you have to like their chances. Uh, and that being said, it was funny. I wrote this last week. The Tiger was actually hanging on to the last qualifying spot. And uh, he, he was bumped this week. So he's actually not qualified. And that's it, it's going to change over the course of the next, whatever, 10 months or nine months until the, the, the cutoff date is. Um, it, it is important to him. And it's interesting watching sort of his initial reaction to it back before 2016 and how it was kind of like other players. It was a little lukewarm. I don't think he knew what to expect. I don't think anybody in golf really knew what to expect to now in retrospect. And we all know that Tiger and Ricky Fowler are very good friends. And I'm sure that those two have had those conversations about what Rio was like and what it was like to stay in the athletes village. And it was a very special experience. And that, that was my first Olympics. And I was told by people who have covered other Olympic games that that was kind of like an Olympics light, not to take anything away from Brazil, but just because of the logistics and, and where they were in the country and sort of the time frame they were up against that the expectations are even bigger. And I actually visited the Olympic golf course in Japan when I was there for the Zozo championship. It's going to be an amazing event. And I think all the players, including Tiger and Rory, and I can keep going down the list are going to embrace it this time. Like they didn't necessarily do last time. Yeah. Bob, what are, what are your thoughts on, on the Olympics this year? I think it's, it'll like Rex said, I think you get that first one under your belt and then people start to embrace it. And I think the, the light bulb will go off for a lot of players um, after they get through it, after you see the highlights, after you see the comments, after probably some of the guys have a beer 
in the hallway or something and they chat through and they really get uh, an authentic, um, unvarnished take on it. And, you know, I like the Ryder Cup, uh, certainly President's Cup, when you represent your country, when it's all said and done, that's, that's got to be a big motivating factor. Yeah, and you saw how uh, Justin Rose was was rocking that gold medal. It seemed like every place that he went, he was almost – he reminded me – I'm a big wrestling guy, and he reminded me of, like, Kurt Angle, the pride that Kurt Angle had of being an Olympic champion and winning with a broken neck. But uh, but Justin, you know, speak, or speaking of uh, just, uh, a Justin, Justin Rose, Justin Thomas uh, coming up big last week. I really felt, and, and I'd like to hear what you guys feel, and especially you, Rex, with uh, – with you being out there uh, just about every week, I feel like like Justin was you know kind of lost for a little bit, and then I think the President's Cup really sparked him, and and I think his friendship with Tiger uh, may be uh, a conduit to his uh, at least in my opinion his good play of late and what I see being a big year for him. No, I, I think that's absolutely fair. Being lost, uh, that might be a little tough because I think there was, there was an injury, and I don't think he ever really let on. Like most players of this generation, I think they learned it from Tiger, how serious it actually was. Yeah. And it, 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 he did take some time off, and, and specifically around the majors. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's always a good learning experience for a young player, especially like Justin, where you're not at the age where you're taking anything you, well, I'm sorry, you're at the age where you're probably taking everything for granted because you think you're invincible and you think this is going to go on forever and you run up against an injury and suddenly you're not allowed to play in one of the, those majors or two of those majors. And suddenly it starts to resonate that I need to make the most of these opportunities. And then, all right, so you look at that and now you look at what he's done with those opportunities really since he's come back from that injury. And I think I'm going to get this wrong. I was just trying to look it up. I think he's won three out of his last six starts and that's not counting the president's cup, which you could make an argument that he and Tiger Woods single-handedly won that. So he's certainly been on one of those impressive runs that we've come to expect from Justin. Yeah, Bob, you, you had, before we went on, you said you had had something to add about uh, Justin. Oh, well, just a, a bit of a story. When I was uh, 2005 or six, I was uh, president of my Mid-Atlantic PGA section, and we would get together for these district meetings with three other or two other sections, Kentucky being one of them. So we go to Harmony Landing. Mike Thomas is the head pro at Harmony Landing. He was on the national board. And I'm walking in Mike Thomas's golf shop and he goes, hey, Bob, you're a Red Sox fan. I gotta meet, you gotta meet my son, Justin. So Justin's about 12, 12 years old. He's got a Red Sox hat on. And I said, what are you doing here in Kentucky in Louisville? Red Sox fan, he goes, I love the Red Sox. Uh, so that's the first time I, I, I met him. And I smile when I, you know, you see a 12, 13 year old kid having fun. We went out to play. I remember Justin on the range just swinging and like a lot of kids, uh, like, wow, really good golf swing. And Mike said, yeah, he just, he loves the game. Like he, his dad, I think did a wonderful job. Mike spoke at our youth summit. Uh, you, you spoke at too, uh, Brendan, mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago. And, you know, I think Mike did a, an amazing job with Justin with a kid with amazing talent, but he kept the game fun, uh, kept him always wanting and trying to learn more. So, uh, you know, kudos to Mike with what he did with Justin. But I, when I think of Justin Thomas, I think what he's doing in the world of golf, my mind goes back to 2006 and the Red Sox hat on a kid. Yeah. You know, you, you can't really talk about Justin without bringing up one of his compadres, uh, Jordan. And Jordan pulling out this week, I, I believe it was due to a cold, but uh, he's been on a rocky road uh, the last two years. Uh, Rex, what do you, 
What do you think the uh, outlook is for, for Jordan for 2020? I think he's still at that age now where, uh, you know, you don't start thinking about maybe the door being shut simply because he, he is young. He, he has his health, which is always something you can point to. And, you know, there's other players who have been injured chronically at that age, and you wonder if they've ever, they're ever going to recover. Jordan certainly doesn't count in that category. And really this comes down to wherever Jordan seems to – put his focus in a particular year. And, and we've kind of seen that over the last five years. Those are the areas where he has success. And, and I think he's starting to figure it out. And by that, I mean that he focused so hard, him and his swing coach on the idea that they wanted to perfect and make his swing a, a little bit more dependable on the pressure. And he probably got away from the little things that made him that great champion, which is how many 20 footers can you make? I was doing some stats just a few, just yesterday on putting and I went back to 2015 in that season from 10 feet and in, he made 78% of his putts, which is an absolute, which is an unbelievable number when you sit and think about like how many 10 footers do I make? Well, I, I don't make 78%. I can guarantee you that. I may not make 8% if I'm being honest. So I, I think he's gotten away from maybe the little things that he did so well. Uh, he's a very smart guy. And, and I do think he's going to figure it out, but it, the more and more time you spend away from the winter circle, the harder and harder it gets. We all know that. Yeah, but it, it just – it seems like and, – and I had said this when when Tiger was was uh, attempting to come back. And, Rex, you know how much I love Augusta and, and, and love Tiger. I, I just felt like – and this could be the same for Jordan – is once you get a taste of that again, I just think those old feels come back and, and it, it's just something for those types of players at least uh, that they can, they can kind of hopefully get back into gear. Oh, no doubt. Uh, I mean, I would really, and, and look, I mean, Tiger had so many health problems that we could, if we, we'd have gone back six years and had this conversation, we'd have thrown, we, both of us would have thrown the asterisks on there that yes, if he's healthy and yes, if he can practice and yes, if he's able to do all these things, well, you don't have to do that with Jordan, which is a huge advantage for him. So at this point, it's a matter of finding his game. And you're right. I think once you're there and you understand what it takes and something clicks on a particular week, it doesn't take a whole lot to get back on one of those runs. Uh, I want to get both your guys' take on uh, two, two guys, uh, Jason Day and Brooks Kepka. Uh, they also uh, had some, some injuries uh, that they, they pulled out of recent events. Uh, Brooks is, I believe, making a start this, this week in, uh, in the Middle East. Is that correct? Or Abu, Abu Dhabi? Middle East, yeah. Abu Dhabi. And then uh, when is uh, Jason coming back? Is it tour? I, I saw Jason's in the field for Tory Pond, so that would be two weeks from now. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do how do you feel? I, I look. I, I'm a big Brooks Kepka fan. I not from the standpoint of where you sit in the media. Um, I think that he could go about things doing doing it a little bit differently with the media. But uh, unbelievable player. Uh, do you think he's going to continue? Both of you guys. Do you think he's going to continue his role uh, into 2020? Bob. Uh, I think you're going to see Brooks have another good year. I bet he wins another major. Um, he brings a different mentality to the game. It's it's that uh, it's just different from golf. You maybe you see it in different sports, but um, I think and I, I love the way he's got this. Obviously, he's a big guy. He's got power. I was get I've been concerned about Jason Day with how he swings at the the ball for a while. I mean, I just it always seemed like he was on the verge of some sort of in, um, injury. And listen, I, I go at the ball fast. I mean, I no hold him back. I mean, it's just, but there was, uh, I hope he comes back. I'm a big Jason Day fan. I would, what he had to overcome as a kid and, and just the history of his career. I, 
I hope he has a really good year, but I've, I've been really concerned about Jason Day with his uh, injuries. But I think Brooks will be solid again this year. No, I think that's fair. And I was, I was just telling someone this story. I met Jason in Australia when he was 16 years old. He had just turned pro. And he was playing in what was then a, a web.com tour event, or whatever it was called. And even then, I mean, and, and again, a lovely fellow and obviously tons and tons of talent. But even then, there was an injury. There was a wrist injury I remember him talking about at the time as a 16-year-old. And I can't remember a season since then. There's been a lot of seasons that he hasn't had some sort of injury. And at some point, these do pile up. And they do start to become more of a mental drain than a physical drain, if you're being honest. That at some point, and he has talked about this. I mean, he's very honest about it takes a lot for him to maintain that competitive posture. And he's learned a lot from Tiger Woods. And he knows that you just can't show up and expect to win. You've got to put the work in. I don't know that physically he's going to be able to want or mentally do this for very much longer simply because it's so hard for him. Brooks is a little different. I mean, I think the injuries that he has, he's, he's had to go through to this point in his career aren't overly concerning, but we've seen this in other professional golfers. I mean, Tiger being the primary example that I'm a huge proponent of golfers spending more time in the gym. I'm working on a fitness book right now with Joey D. However, I think there are tipping points for this. And I think that golfers do need to be careful. And I, I've had some of the best discussions of my career with players like Roy McIlroy or even Tiger Woods talking about having to learn that tipping point. And you never really know. I mean, you're going to push because they're athletes and they're type A guys, but you're going to push to the point that you're going to hurt yourself. And I think Brooks will figure it out eventually. I just think that this stage in his career, he probably needs to tread a little bit more carefully. Yes, I agree. I mean, I've had five operations. No, yeah, <laughs> both shoulders, twice right knee, once uh, right ankle. And, you know, it's a psychological thing as an individual sport. You go back out there, the, the time that you're hurting and you get into a bad habit because of the injury, then the operation, then the recuperation, it, it, it goes up and down. So I can commiserate and I can understand, I think, more um, in, well, mentally and certainly physically with some of the tour players that have had these operations and injuries. Uh, it'll mess you up for a while. And. Um, yeah, I hope, I, you know, I hope for the best for the guys. And it really seems like it is part of the game. You know, we've talked about for many years how these are athletes now. This isn't, you know, back in Nicholas era where uh, a lot of the guys didn't necessarily take that part of uh, training seriously. Um, but the, all these guys are athletes. But at the same time, um, we can go through the list. They've all had some kind of injury. Um, that could be attributed to, you know, the, the way the game is played nowadays. And, and that's interesting, Rex, that you're, you're doing that book because that, it's, it's a big part of, of, the, of the professional game now. I'm, I'm probably on both sides, the LPGA and PGA Tour. Um, but you also see, too, on the Champions Tour, the longevity that we see from some of the players that have, that have really gotten to this fitness craze. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, look, you can go down the list I and mean, Bernard Langer is probably the, the freakish example, right? Like I, I love the conversations on ESPN talking about Tom Brady being this freak of nature. And I point to Langer thinking that, I mean, Bob, you've gone through how many, 12 surgeries or 13 surgeries. I don't know how many you just rattled off, but you, you seem to have a medical history like Tiger Woods and you know how hard it is to come back from each and every one of these surgeries. And the fact that Langer really hasn't had to deal with any of these and he's had this competitive motion over and over and over again for the better part of four decades now is absolutely amazing to me. Yeah, did you, I mean, we all know the, the Gary player with the fitness and everything. 
Uh, my first head pro job was at a Gary Player golf course. I saw him four times in about 18 months, and it was neat to be around him and, and hear his background. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen him do that where he holds a driver in, with his fingers and his arms straight out. I mean, that's some pretty strong stuff right there. Yeah, and, and you, brought, you bring up Bernard, you bring up, uh, you bring up Gary, and I, I could be totally wrong on this, but you don't hear about a lot of injuries with those guys, yet fitness was a big part of what they did from probably very early on in their career. So it, it may be something different that the younger generation and the guys that are into the fitness, into the working out now uh, are doing, or maybe it's that chase for speed. I mean, we've got all the technology now, and, and they're trying to, you know, get up 120, 125 on their swing speed and get that ball speed close as close to 200 as, as they can. And it's, it's just, it's different. The combination of the technology and of the, uh, of the physicality of it. I, I thought it was fast. And it, this was probably two years ago and it, it kind of stemmed from a, from an Instagram post that Roy put out, he was squatting, I don't know, 400 pounds or something ridiculous or whatever it was. And, and uh, my colleague, Randall Chambly, who, who we all, I mean, I have a ton of respect for, he, uh, he kind of fired back and he was a little critical of that. And Randall's been uh, critical of, of, let's call it the fitness craze for a couple of years. And so I was in LA that week and I just happened to be at the tournament. And so I, I took the time of actually trying to track down Rory and asking him, why do you do the things you do in the gym? I mean, we know you're dedicated. And if, if you actually sit down and you talk to a player like Rory and Brooks and DJ, and they're really all the same way, certainly Tiger, they all have reasons and they just don't go to the gym and start throwing around weight. I, that's the, probably the biggest thing I've learned from doing this book with Joey, that everything is so detailed and everything is so fixated on. We, we think that we can just imagine Brooks Koepka in a gym, you know, just pinch pressing 300 pounds. That's not the case. I mean, the work that he does has much more to do with mobility and stability and his balance and, everything else that goes into the golf swing that you guys who understand the golf swing know, but other people probably don't. So let's, uh, I just wanted to, in the last few minutes here, get off the fitness thing and get to predictions uh, for 2020. And I'm, I've got three areas I wanted to look at. I want to look at the ladies game, the men's game, who are going to be the bright spots, who are going to be potential major champions, some of the newer young guns. And then the third thing would be the industry as a whole, uh, which is kind of our territory, Bob. Uh, and what do you think some of the trends might be in there? So let's, let's start with the ladies. And before we get to that, I was looking on the, uh, the ladies ranking the Rolex and really cool website. I have only been on there a handful of times, but the way they slice and dice all the statistics, but out of the top, I believe it was the top 100, you've got 40 Koreans out of the top 100, 40% of the players, that's, that's incredible. So obviously I'm, that trend's gonna continue, but Rex, who are some of your, uh, what's some of your thoughts on the LPGA as we head into this year? So you sent me scrambling to these rankings because uh, you, you, you got me out of, out of sorts here. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and pass on that. Can I, can I go back, can I start with the men and then go back to the, to the LPGA? Go, go to the men, yes. All right, I appreciate that. It's a way to bail me out. Um, you, you know what? It's interesting. We made such, and having been in Japan, it was so cool for Tiger to tie Sam Snead's record. And, you know, you, there were so many expectations. But now, like I kind of, I wrote this a few days ago. And, you know, you start looking at events you really want to be at this year. And I can imagine where he actually breaks that record at Bay Hill. And he's okay. going to play Tory. We all know his record there. And he's going to play LA. We know his record there. It's not great, actually. Um, so you can see how the next victory, 83, could come 
at Bay Hill. I think that would be a very, very cool moment. Obviously going back to Augusta uh, with him being the defending champion and it's going to be a, a very special moment. And, and then it, obviously the Ryder Cup. And I think Steve Stricker is under a tremendous amount of pressure. And this Ryder Cup in my mind is going to be different than maybe previous years. I don't think there's much he can do to set up the golf course differently. So I think it's going to be a little bit harder for Steve. I think he's going to end up being a good captain, but this is going to be a tough, tough, tough haul for him. Yeah, I agree. Bob, what about you, men's side? Um, I'm going to um, take a page out of Mr. Rex. Uh, can I pass? I mean, you know, I don't want to, you know, we, we've talked last podcast that I thought Ricky might have a pretty solid year. Yeah. And then maybe the, you know, the Ricky, Justin, like the competitiveness, I think maybe just there's a mindset that he finally says, Hey, I got to get it in gear. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get talk about the industry and I think a couple of things come to mind at some point in time, the golf industry is going to wake up and realize that the, the data collection at the local level, that's going to be a way to grow the game. And I know this sounds a little bit different, but the, as Rex talked about at PGA pros and LPGA pros at the tip, of the sphere and trying to grow the game and we get out there we talked about at the beginning of the podcast that we would we need to get out there and engage more that word engage the e-word that has to be critical for the mindset to get everybody at the facility engaged with golfers but i think there's just a lot of facilities maybe on one hand that really do a fantastic job on data collection and knowing the data to drive their business you see it in every other industry you see it in other aspects of golf but I just don't think you see it at the average facility. And if they really did it the right way, that would be the way to quote unquote grow the game as much or more than just throwing out some uh, programs. So that's something I, I hope I, we can do with my reimagined golf business, our company and, and set the standard for how to grow the game and really use data collection to engage with the consumer and get more people out there. Yeah. And I'm right with you, Bob. We didn't even, we didn't even talk about this prior to going on, but that was one of the things I was going to bring up as well uh, from the business side is, you know, we always see new programs rolled out or uh, uh, in, in fact, uh, PGA Junior League, which has been a really uh, good program for growing the game uh, with juniors. They're doing a pilot program this, this year, uh, the Junior Cup, or excuse me, the uh, Family Cup, uh, where it's going to be scramble format with an adult and a child. Love the concept, um, and and I do love a lot of the programs that have that have been rolled out over the years, and I think it's super important for the industry to continue to do that. But from the standpoint of growing the business, you're right on the money. Golf has been always been lagging behind other businesses that have been successful in terms of collecting data, using that data, segmenting that data, and getting getting people to come out and know what's offered at the facility. So. I'm right with you for, with that standpoint uh, for uh, what's to come. Yeah, Bernie, here's just one simple example. Uh, I have, uh, this is going to be pretty caustic, um, and I'm glad Rex is with us, but um, I'm not sure that one or maybe a handful of facilities in the country know exactly how many human beings play their golf course. I don't mean rounds of golf. I don't mean any of that stuff. I mean human beings that actually play your golf course. If you did 32,000 rounds of golf, how many human beings is that? Yeah. Is it 3,000 people, 2,200? It could really help you marketing. It can help you across the board. That type of data, if you want to call it, nobody knows that. They're, you're just 
we might have to do another podcast just on that, but that's just one example. Yeah, and I really think that maybe the tours do a better job than, than those that work behind the counters and work at the golf courses because they're collecting all that data of the folks that come in, you know, come in the gates to, to every, whether it be LPGA Tour or PGA Tour, and they're collecting the data on viewership. And, and I'm sure Golf Channel, well, we know Golf Channel does with, with everything that they do beyond just the television, uh, what they do with golf now, and they're collecting all kinds of data. So it's there. It's there for our, for our uses, the keepers of the game and the ones that have to grow it, but we're just not, and for the most part, utilizing it the way it should be used. Um, I want to get my opinions there for the LPGA. I, you know, with the Koreans really being dominant, and, and again, I, I think Rex probably jumped on here too. I think the bright spots are uh, obviously going to be uh, the, the quarter sisters. They're obviously going to be some of the bright spots going forward. Uh, Lexi, Lexi's definitely going to be a name there. Um, Danielle Kang, those are your four that I believe that are within the top 15 right now. Um, they're from last season, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see if, if the Americans can, uh, can really start pushing some more uh, younger. It's, it always starts with the, with the player development programs at younger ages and the opportunities are, are boundless for, for young ladies. But uh, uh, Rex, what do you think about the LPGA? Well, I, I can't, I kind of blanked on this. I apologize. So, Jinyoung Ko oh, just won the uh, GWA Player of the Year on the LPGA Tour okay. today. They just announced that. And I didn't realize, I got to kind of went through and read. Again, I don't, I don't spend nearly enough time focusing on the LPGA, and I probably should. Um, second season, and she ran away with the award. So, that's pretty impressive. And, and I always, I, I love watching the quarters play. I, I think you're right. I, I think they could be, you know, just a, they're just fun to watch play golf and you know I kind of put a lot of guys in that category as well but you tune in and you want to watch them and, and they just seem to like they're having fun on the golf course yeah and my picks for uh or my bright spots for the for the tour this year the men's tour obviously being a Tiger fan I, I really feel the you know he always talks about feels and I, I think that victory at Augusta last year will be something that he'll be a serious serious contender this year to to win back to back that might be a stretch for a lot of people but uh i i just you know horses for courses and and you know love him or hate him the guy has done something that's in the history of not just our sport but sport in general that's hard to beat i mean having coming back from all the things that he's come back from and then not just winning at augusta um but you know, knowing, knowing his body now and how it reacts and setting the schedule to that and, and even, even going to the President's Cup and, and pulling himself from, from the uh, Saturday or from the, I guess it would be Friday matches, Saturday matches, um, because he, I think Freddie had said something in a podcast or something that Tiger wasn't really feeling that great and, and pulling himself and he, he got some I guess he got some heat because no, you need to be out there on the golf course. And, but he knew, he knew. And then he goes out there and smokes it on and the singles matches. So I think he really knows finally um, how to react to his body and how much or how little he's capable of doing. So I think that's going to translate into a very tight schedule for him this year. But Later, less is definitely going to be more. Yeah, definitely a productive year for him. 
So that don't, I, don't sleep on Rory. Rory's going to get that major. Uh, I might take Rory yeah. over Tiger at Augusta if uh, if you're in a betting mood. Well, I tell you what, I would love to see him win at Augusta, especially after all the struggles he's had there. I'm a big Jordan fan too. I really want to see him get back on the horse and do some good things. Um, so, so my guys, Tiger, Rory, uh, Jordan, and I'm a Ricky fan. I want to see Ricky break through. I, I just, he's too good not to have a major by now. Uh, those are fun. You know, it gets me going into the season and we saw flashes of it, you know, late in, in you know, late last year with the Matthew Wolfs and uh, the Colin Morikawa's. And these, they're such special and talented guys, and they're just now getting their feet. And you, you sit and you try to think of a landscape where they fit in in the current crop of players, which, let's face it, they're all kind of outside of Tiger Woods. We're looking at all guys in the mid-30s, and you almost get the impression there's, there's sort of a next wave after that JT Jordan wave that these are the next wave of guys. Yeah, and uh, some, some uniqueness to golf swings, finally. We're getting that instead of that cookie cutter that we had for a long time, we're getting guys out there being you athletes. That uh, Matthew Wolf swing, are you, uh, I, you know, I, maybe, Bob, we should spend a whole hour on that sometime, breaking that swing down and looking at that. Love it. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show you, you got confidence and you know your swing, and uh, it makes a big difference. I, I saw some Facebook uh, group discussion in the last few days on, even uh, Justin Thomas, those wedges he hit um, in the playoff and just how, you know, there's nothing, none of those shots he's ever hit before. That distance, that atmosphere, that, that setting, that everything. Um, so you talk about trying to get the perfect motion, the perfect swing, yet when you step out on that golf course, no two shots ever going to be the same. And the, the lies are different. Everything is different. So what, what separates that thing? Does it come down to supreme confidence? Is it, is it those intangibles? Well, guys, I appreciate the time. Rex, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, always great to talk to you and get your insights. Uh, everybody can uh, obviously find Rex on golfchannel.com and on the Golf Channel. Uh, Bob, thank you, sir. We'll, uh, we'll hook up for sometime next week and uh, talk golf. So thanks for listening to the Love and Links podcast. You can find us on Facebook. Instagram, YouTube. This uh, actual episode will be up on YouTube within the next day. And then our podcast, the audio portion will be on all the major uh, podcast uh, outlets, uh, iHeartRadio, Pandora, iTunes. So once again, thanks guys. And have a great time uh, watching golf this week. Mahalo. See you boys. See you. Thanks for listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our website is littlelinksers.com backslash love. You can email us at loveofthelinks at gmail.com.